Good morning. This is a reading from Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, of the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Good morning, everybody. Joshua's chapter 3 and 4 is all about the final crossing into the promised land. That's why it's such an awesome chapter, right? So what you have is, is you have in chapter 3 that we're beginning to talk about crossing, and then during that time they cross, and at the end they've already crossed. So there's two great chapters to read about. Actually, we've been talking about this, crossing over the promised land. What does that mean? To reach our full potential in God is becoming all that God created us to be. That's what it means to cross. That's what the promised land represents. So that's what we're really talking about. So what happens in chapters 3 and 4 is the waters part. What vision do you have of the waters parting? I mean, do you have a vision of this narrow channel? Right? Because that's not what happened. Actually, we're told in chapters 3 and 4 that 20, 30 miles upstream in a town called Adam, that that's where the waters actually stopped. And so the spance that these 2 million people crossed was 30-plus miles wide. That's how much room. They could have shoulder-to-shoulder gone across. And we're told, we're, told that, we're told that some guys went down with the ark, and they stood there creating this. Now, how did that happen? Was this just like this miracle, and God reached down and did that? We don't know. We're not told. Maybe God reached down, and he did that 30, 40, 50 miles wide. Huge so that lots and lots of people could cross into the promised land. Uh, three times in history we have recorded that actually the Jordan River has been stopped up way upstream, 30 miles upstream because of an earthquake and resulting in a landslide. The last time it happened, actually back in the 20th century, the water stopped for 21 hours. Interesting. So either there was an earthquake, a landslide, or something like that, and God did a miracle of timing to put them in the right place at the right time to cross in, or God went like this. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that they crossed. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about. It says, consecrate yourselves because today I'm going to do... Did you catch it? What thing? Did anybody catch that? What Ivan just read? What kind of things? Amazing. Amazing things. That caught my attention 
because I want to go across into the amazing things. What, how do I get to the amazing? Well, I have to, on this side of the river, the bridge, I have to consecrate myself. So I'm really interested in what it means to consecrate myself. So let me tell you why I'm hiding, holding the lightsaber. What is the lightsaber? I was watching uh, TV the morning after the debut of Star Wars, Friday morning. It was about 8 o'clock after the debut. They're down at the famous historic Uptown Theater because they were showing Star Wars, and they're interviewing people on the street. They came up to one guy. He's 26 years old. And they said, hey, uh, Star Wars, is it important to you? Here's his quote. Star Wars changed the entire trajectory of my life. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's big. That's big. They went up to another guy, put the microphone in his face. Uh, did, you, did you take the day off work to be here? Here's his response. I took the whole week off of work <laughs> because I didn't want anything to interfere with Star Wars. That's how important. I wanted to be totally focused on Star Wars. Everybody, that's consecration. Consecration is when something totally changes the trajectory of life and you just keep changing, 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 and when you put your full attention on something. And so, only thing we're talking about this morning is what in the world does it mean to be consecrated? And what exactly were they doing for three days over here that God said, if you'll do this for three days, you'll go through to the promise, your promised land, your full potential, and I'll do amazing things in you. I'll do it. And do you notice that? I'll drive out a bunch of people. And some of us might say, that's one of the problems that people have with the Bible, the driving out of the people. We'll get that in a minute. Just hang on. Keep that thought. Uh, I would like to do something real quick because it says that um, you're to follow the ark. makes a big deal of this. Make sure you follow the ark, the ark representative of God's presence. So the ark is actually a throne. So the ark isn't God, but the idea was that God sits on the throne. The throne is ark. God is invisible, right? And they're to follow it. So some of you are really up on uh, pop culture, social media. Anybody here really way up on social media? Anybody? Just raise your hand. Be loud and proud. Anybody here really into social media and pop culture? There you go. One down here. There's another one down here. Good. Good. You're going to come in handy. So clue in real, real quick. I need to know, I need to know, who do you think has, anybody can answer, who has the most Twitter followers in the world. Who in the world has the most Twitter followers? Anybody? Shout it out. Give me a name. Justin Bieber. Bieber fever. No. No, it's not Justin Bieber. Kardashian. Close. Caitlyn Jenner. No. Come on. Who? Who? Did somebody say the Pope? Let's see it. Reveal the answer, Myron. Who has the most? No, but I heard no. Did anybody say that? Did anybody say? Who is that? Katy Perry, you know how many followers she has on Twitter? She has 80 million. Bieber's number two. All right, let's go to Instagram. Who has the most Instagram followers? Lots of people follow Instagram. Please. Kardashian? Adele? Come on. Bieber? Myron, reveal the answer to us. 62 million people are following every morning on Instagram, right? Who here doesn't know what Instagram is? Okay. <laughs> My saber's going out as I pointed at her. Okay. Uh, Facebook. Who has the most Facebook followers? Who? Come on. No. No. Huh? Peyton, Peyton, Peyton Manning. Not quite. I'll, I'll give you a clue. It is an athlete, but it's definitely not Peyton Manning. Okay. LeBron. What? Nobody's even close. You're in the wrong sport. What's the number one sport in the world? Football's not even number two. Cricket's number two. 
Number one sport in the world is soccer. And who is admiring? Show us. Who is that man? Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yes. You know how many, how many followers he has on Facebook? 108 million people are following this man. Right? It's amazing. Okay. Couple, just, I want to do two more. I want to do two more because you guys are really in the know. You've actually done very well. You did much better than the first service, but don't tell them that. Okay? <laughs> Who is the person on the planet that in 2015, more people searched Google this person than any other person on the planet? Number one person searched for. Go. No. Adele? Wrong. Kardashian? No. I haven't heard it. Myron, reveal. Who knows who this is? Who is it? Who is it? Lamar Odom. For those of you who don't know who he is, don't Google his name. You might read some stuff that might shock you a little bit. He is associated with the Kardashians, and he's associated with the situation in Las Vegas, which we will not get into at this time. Now, he's an athlete. He used to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. And since we're talking about athletes, tell me, everybody, who is the number one search for athlete on the entire planet in 2015? Please, go ahead. Guys, speak up. Kobe? No. What? Oh, no, 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 please. LeBron James. Go, nobody said it. I'll give you a hint. It's a woman. Ronda Rousey. There she is. There is your number one search for athlete on the entire planet in 2015, Ronda Rousey. And some of you don't know who Ronda Rousey is. She is the most searched for person on the And what song is playing? Hello, hello, very good. You guys did great. All right, there's a reason why I want to do all this. There's a reason why. Let's unbutton this, get a little tight. Okay, let's get rid of the lightsaber. Okay, there is a reason why I went through that whole thing with you. Okay, because um, that's what consecration means. You have people, I'm not saying this bad, some of us sleep with our phones, right? You know, don't, not, don't nod, just you know who you are. Okay, some of us sleep with our phones, and the first thing we wake up in the morning is we wake up to social media or emails or work or whatever, right? Right? We do that. We cuddle it. It's like, oh, right? It's, it's like our baby. You know, they did a study, and, and they found that people, you know, with their phones, their, their phones represented like their heart. It was a heartfelt thing between the relationship between them and their phones. It's really important. The phone is very, very important, right? But we wake up to it. And so... Um, these are things that we devote our full energy and attention to. I'm not saying they're bad things. They're just, they're just things. They're things that we're following. We're told, to follow, we're told to follow God. And what does that look like? And why should we follow God? And you know what, everybody? Following God sometimes gets a really bad rap. And for some of you, following God is like, oh, yeah. Or we see things on TV. Oh, those are those God followers. I don't want to be associated with them. You know, a study by the, done by the University of Virginia finds out that today millennials are really, really spiritual. Do you believe that? They just don't want to be associated with the, what? Church. Because sometimes being a follower of God and making God your top priority is not seen as a cool thing. It's actually seen as a bad thing. I remember one of the first churches I ever served, I had the guy who was like the head of the board or whatever this church. He says, I don't want any born-again Christians in this church. Why did he say that? Because Jesus started the born-again thing, right? It's because we have a misunderstanding of what it really means to have God as your top priority. And this is what I want to talk about today because consecration means to make God your top priority. So let's review. There's a five-step plan in the book of Joshua that's a winning plan. It's a winning plan. God gives, lays it out for us. It helps us cross over to the promised land. You, be, you becoming everything God created you. You reaching your full potential. It's absolutely awesome. We all want it. God put it in you. 
God put it in you. We desire to reach that. It's in there. Some of us got stuff happen in life, whatever, okay? But that's there. And what keeps, so step one was what? Passion. Nothing great happens without passion. It's totally true. Be passionate. What is the enemy? Apathy. Apathy. Last week we talked about what? What keeps us moving? Because as Mike Tyson says, the oracle from Manhattan, right? So he says, when we start, somebody's going to punch us in the mouth. Everybody has a plan until somebody punches, gets punched in the mouth, right? That's what's going to happen. And so only 8% of people who make New Year's goals, and almost half of Americans do, actually reach their New Year's goals because we get punched in the mouth, we back off. So what's going to keep us going across the bridge towards the promised land? Proof. You've got to have proof. And the enemy is forgetfulness. And that's why I encouraged you last week. I said, you know, take these that we gave you last week and just start writing down what God's doing, how he's answering prayer, and every day start reading it. And you know what? You'll keep going across instead of backing up because maybe our greatest weapon against the attacks of life on us is a really good memory. Now, let's talk about this today. Number three. Step number three is priorities. What matters most? And what's the enemy? Life. Life is. Social media. Social media bad? No. Not bad. Career, entertainment, right? My goals, all this stuff, all the distractions, all the things they're doing. There's a lot of things to do in D.C. Is it bad? No, but life gets in the way. And what what people who are highly successful, people or corporations that are highly, highly successful, they're really good at this. They figure out what matters a lot and what matters the most. And life gets in the way. Life gets in my way. Life gets in my way. There's a, you know, I, but, you know, I'm interested in my career. I'm interested in my education. I'm interested in my goals. I'm interested in my retirement. I'm interested in exercise. I'm interested in sports. Nobody's saying that's a bad thing. Nobody's saying any of that's a bad thing. The question is, what matters most? And here's what I find in my own life. I don't know about you, but here's what I find in my own life about life. That when life is really busy for me, the first thing to go is God. You don't need to nod your head, but I know that some of you are just like me. The first thing that goes in my life when my life is super busy is like, okay, well, I've got to wait. We'll do that God thing later, right? God goes first. Prayer goes first. Bible goes first. Church attendance. I actually have to attend church, right? <laughs> but if I didn't have to attend church and life got really busy, you know what? There'd be some days that I wouldn't go to church. And God says, you know what, John? You've got to change that because consecration means to make God your top priority. And that's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. As opposed to what we might read about or hear about or see on TV or experience from other people who say they're making God number one in their life. And you're like, oh, you made God number one? I don't want to be anything like you. What I'm going to argue today is those people that you see that they've made God number one, you say, I don't want to be anything like that. I don't want born-again Christians in my church. I'm going to say it's a misunderstanding of what it means to make God number one. That's the argument for today. And I want to, make, I want to argue this today. We, we need, we love, we crave a world filled with people who have made God number one in their life because it makes the world a much better place. That's where we're going today. Okay, so here's the enemy. Let's put it at the feet of Darth and... Uh, Let's start, okay? Here we go. So what does it mean actually to consecrate your life before God? We got to figure out what matters a lot and what matters most in life. So they would have done, very important, ready? They would have done two things. So when God says, consecrate yourself, they're on the side, right? When God said over here, consecrate yourself, I'm going to do amazing things. 
right, when you cross. They did something for three days. They did two things for three days. That is what everything hinges on. Here we go. First thing they would have done is they would have taken a bath. They would have taken a bath. They would have washed. Got a lot of washing, ritual washing. Got all clean, put on brand new clothes. So, you know, for some of us, you want God to do something amazing in your life, the best thing you can do is go home today and take a bath, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, God wants to do something amazing in your life. Go home and take a bath, all right? Go ahead. It's okay. Go home and take a bath. What, what is that all about? What does that mean? Why, why is God saying that? Go home and take a bath. How am I supposed to make sense of that? Oh, yeah, well, I get all nice and scrubbed up and get the dirt and the stink off of me, and all of a sudden, woo, amazing things are going to happen. Let's see if we can unpack this real quick. Number one, wash in the word. Consecration basically means to make God your top priority, and making God your top priority involves just two things, just two things, and the first one is, is to wash in the Word. What does that mean? It means to focus on the Bible. It means to meditate on the Bible. And I'm not talking about information here. The Bible says when people get a lot of information, knowledge puffs up, makes us arrogant. Don't say yes, don't shake your heads, but how many people know somebody, know a lot of the Bible, and you just absolutely can't stand them? They're just a terrible person. Don't chuckle, don't listen, it's okay. Just in case you might be sitting next to them right now. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love is the meditation side. Love is the application side. And when the Bible says we should meditate on the Bible, it's saying that we should focus and we should ask ourselves a question, how do I apply this to my life? How do I apply this to my life? Because people who are just taking in information, which is leading to problems, they're not asking, okay, how do I apply this to my life? People who take in a lot of information and it's puffing up say, how can I apply this to your life? You follow what I'm saying? Is anybody with me? How can I apply this to your life? And so what meditation is, is I'm asking myself. So this guy, I was reading it. Uh, actually, it was Max Lucado. I read this thing about Max Lucado, a very popular Christian writer. And he says this. One day he was reading the scripture and the scripture says, you should cherish your wife. You should cherish your wife. And so he went to his wife. He said, first of all, he said, how can I apply it to my life? And Gus says, well, you should... You should go ask your wife. So he went to his wife and says, hey, I want to cherish you more today. Just tell me how to do it. That's application. Are there any wives in the room who say, you know what? I'm all for that application. That application's a good thing. We need more application. And so what meditation is, meditation always leads to application. In Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, where we started the whole thing, it says, I need you to meditate on the word. Because meditation always leads to that. We're always asking, how do I apply this? How do I apply And it says, when you meditate... You will be careful to do what the Word says. Ah, there you go. See, meditation doesn't lead to information. That's not the dead end. Meditation leads to application, which leads to transformation, and that's what we're after. I would far rather, me, everybody, I would far rather you take two or three chapters in the Bible and meditate, meditate, meditate on it and say, how can I apply, apply, apply and change my life than to take Genesis to Revelation and just be filled up with a bunch of knowledge. You're much better off saying, how can I meditate and apply this to my own life? Meditation changes us. So when we wash, what's this deal with washing? Well, the Bible says the washing is with the word. God's word, the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 26, speaking to the church, make her holy, cleansing her. What? What does it mean? It means the church, the church, how is the church going to change? How is the church going to become everything that God wants it to be? What's it going to, well, it tells us. Make it holy by cleanser, by how? By the washing with water through the what, everybody? What does it say? Through the word, through the word. So what they were symbolically doing before the great and amazing things happened and they consecrated themselves, the consecration process was to meditate in the word and allow the word to completely change them because they're asking, because they're meditating, they're saying, how do I apply this to my life? 
You know what God actually told them to do when they got, he said this all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, the book right before Joshua. He said, I need you to make big billboards, big billboards. Anybody driven 95 South through North Carolina, headed South? Tell me about it. What billboards you see? Did you tell me? South of the border. You think it's the greatest place in the world. It's a terrible place. Don't even stop there. I'm sorry if you love it. I'm sorry if you love it. I'm sorry. If you love it. I know. I know. Yes, I know. No, my kids kept saying, we got to stop. We got to stop. And I knew how terrible it was. And we're never going to stop. There's a terrible place. Finally, we stopped there. My son, who I think he was like 15 years old. Oh, let's please stop. And let's go to the arcade. We go in the arcade. That place is all old and run down. There was a thing they had. It was called the hurricane. And you go and stand in the hurricane. It's like hurricane force wind. You go in there. He came out. And he says, Hair dryers have more power than that hurricane. It was all, I hated this place. So, but you see billboards and God says, put up billboards all over in the promised land with what on it? What's on the billboard? Scripture verses. And what am I doing with scripture? I'm supposed to say, how do I apply these? They're, write them on the door frames of your house and ask this. How do I apply this to my daily life? Not how I gain knowledge. How do I apply it? Meditation is about application. This, everybody, is the key. We focus on it, and we say, how does it change us? John 17, 17, Jesus Christ is speaking. What does Jesus say? Sanctify them. What does sanctify mean? We're going to change you. Your life is going to be changed. How's it going to be changed? It's going to be changed by God. God's, how's God going to change our lives? How's God going to transform us? He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Check this one out. Psalm, Psalm 119.9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Question, answer, by living according to your word. This is so fascinating. I've talked about it before. It has to come up again right now. It has to come up again right now. A secular research firm was hired. Specifically, a secular one was hired because this church who hired them, a very large church outside of Chicago, says, you know what? We don't want any kind of Christian bias. We want the truth. So we're not hiring any Christian research firm to do this. We want them to study us and a bunch of other churches, hundreds of other churches, and talk to people who go to those churches and try to figure out what really leads to spiritual change and maturity. Now, let's qualify spiritual change. Because the first thing many of us think about, oh, okay, that person really knows it. You ask them a question, they know where it is in the Bible. Bible sword drills. Anybody know, right? Okay, they know it. Oh, yeah. Chapter Malachi 5. What do you know? There isn't a Malachi 5, so I would lose. Okay, so, right... But that's not spiritual maturity. They said, no, spiritual maturity is marked by a person whose character is being changed. They're going from being self-centered to being other-centered and all these beautiful things that happen in our life that the whole world craves for. That's how we measure spiritual maturity. And then they said this. They said, there's one way that it happens. One way. Secular research firm. Here's the quote. It's on the screen behind me. Ready? Nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only how many things? One thing. One thing, top priority. If churches could only have one top priority, one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. It's not muddy, not hazy. It's very clear. What is the clear choice? Secular research firm. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible. Read the Bible. So actually what they would do for three days right? The washing with the water, all that. All that represents is I'm meditating on the Bible. I'm reading scripture verses. I don't have to read huge volumes, just a few, maybe a chapter. You know, each week we're going, week one of this series, we went through Joshua one. Week two, Joshua, Joshua two. Week three, right? We're in Joshua three. You could just take a chapter a week. Next week, you could read four and five or whatever. And you could say, here's the question to ask. How do I apply this to my life? How do I apply this to my life? Just like Max Lucado, how do I apply this to my life? And so they did that. They did that. That's the first thing. And the second thing is very, very, very similar. Okay? You know what it was? 
Week one, they washed, which represents the word. What would they do for three days? For three days right here before God did amazing things, and we all want amazing things to happen in our life. We all want to get to the promised land. What do they do? They didn't have sex. I'm serious. That's what it means to consecrate. To consecrate yourself means that you would really focus in on the Bible. You meditate on the Bible. You say, how can I apply it in my life? And for three days, no sex. Now, what in the world does that have to do with anything? I just, I don't understand this one. What does it mean that I'm not going to have sex for three days? Is sex dirty? Is sex bad? Is sex terrible? Does God think sex is no, no, no go on the sex? What's the deal? Well, the problem is, is we know this. What we know, because we've talked about this before, God created sex. God invented it. Actually, God commanded it, right? Who says, yes, this, thank you, God. I didn't know you commanded it. The first command given by God to Adam and Eve in the Bible was be fruitful and multiply. I only know one way to multiply, everybody. So God commands it. God is God's first commandment. Anybody want to say, yes, God? Anybody? Yes, God. Okay. So God creates it. God invents it. God commands it. You know what? There's naked Adam with naked Eve. And God, he just, okay. All right. And he cuts them loose. But you know what's interesting? There's no instruction manual. God didn't say, here's how you do it. But you know, somehow Adam figured it out. He figured it all out. He figured it out without an instruction manual. Nothing, nothing, nothing sent to him on an email. Nothing. Just boom. He figures the whole thing out. He knows exactly, he knows exactly what to do. So why, since God doesn't think sex is dirty, God commands it, right? He invents it. He creates it. What is the deal with not having sex? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says something very, very interesting. It's not on your notes, right? Very briefly, it says, you know, husbands and wives. uh, This is actually a great thing. So husbands, you might want to really clue in right here. It says, husbands and wives don't deprive each other of sex, except, except for a period of time, hopefully it's very short, except for a period of time in which you have decided to devote yourself to God. Here's what I want to tell you. Ready? Listen. This, I, I, this helped me. This helped me to get this. Like, I don't understand this. Before, I would just like, I don't understand it, so let's just move on to something else. Here is why this is so important. You ready? Sex requires your full attention. Yes, it's symbolic of something that requires your full attention. So in other words, okay, there's no multitasking while you're having sex. Like, people don't have sex and say, you know what, uh, okay, uh, can I fill out that report for the office and uh, hand me the phone, I'm going to do some Facebook, and while, while we're at it, I need to send some, you know, text messages and do some laundry, and where's that remote, and can you hand me the potato chips? Nobody's doing that. I'm just trying to be, this is what we're talking, we're talking about full, there's no multitasking going on while sex, you got to get this point. What sex requires is full attention. God's not saying it's bad. Not God's not saying it's wrong. God's not saying any of that. He just said, you know, for a period of time, full attention. So for three days, they would give God their full attention. So here's what happens. Every day in our life, right, life, there's a lot to do here in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you know that. And particularly if you're single, this is considered one of the greatest places to live if you're a single person. There's so much to do here. There's a lot of life. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. But if God is the top priority and, and your, God is getting your attention, okay, what do you wake up to in the morning? I mean, are we, are we waking up to emails and Twitter and Facebook? Or if God's the top priority, are we waking up and saying, oh, here's a scripture verse from Joshua chapter 3. God, how can this change my life today? Well, I mean, where's that top priority? Because for me, I've just noticed life gets in the way and God's the first thing to go. And God is saying, if you want to march on to the promised land, 
and you want to make me number one and you want to see me do something awesome, then God needs to be number one. And so, you know, here, just a hypothetical, everybody. So every day we give God half an hour. I'm not saying you can maybe give God five minutes. I'm just throwing out numbers. Okay. Will you work with me? So maybe every day I start out and I give God a half an hour every day. And then maybe, maybe once a week I, I give God a half a day, or maybe I give him two hours or an hour and a half. And on Sundays I, I go to church. You know how many people we have come here? And their friends and their coworkers and like, hey, let's go do this, let's go do this. And like, no, I'm going to church. And people come to me and say, my friends think I'm nuts for coming to church because my friends say to me, my friends say to me, uh, well, how often do you go to church? Well, I get just about every Sunday. Well, how long do you spend there? Five minutes? I mean, what are you doing? No, usually the whole deal takes me a couple hours. Oh my gosh, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Now, the Star Wars guy isn't crazy. He's taken off all week and we're like, that's awesome. I love Star Wars. But we're afraid of people who make God the top priority, I'm saying, because it has a negative spin to it. But I want to clear that up in just a second. So keep that in the back of your hopper. So half hour, maybe once a week you give, you give a half a day. Maybe you could play with the times. I don't care. Maybe once, once a year you give God a half a week. Maybe you pull away. And you're like, you know what, God? I want to know what you're saying for me for the next year. Maybe you do that. That's what they would do, the Israelites. They would take all these feasts and they remember what God has done and they would focus, they would con- full concentration. So what is sex? The abstaining from sex, what does it mean? It means you're concentrating on God. So number one, what would they do? They would wash in the word. And what's the second thing they would do over here? They would fully concentrate on God. God would be top priority and they would fully concentrate. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so please hang with me because all of this means something. All of this means something. When I concentrate on God, when I focus in on God, God changes my focus. I'm going to say it again. If God's number one and I'm concentrating on God and I'm, not, I'm meditating, I'm not trying to gain information but asking for application, then God begins to change my focus. God is what matters most to me. He becomes my top priority. It's step number three. He becomes my top priority. God matters most. And when that happens, if you caught what Ivan just read, God says, if you will do this, if you'll do this, if you'll consecrate yourself, I will drive out all the ites in your life. The Canaanites, all those names that are so hard to read, Perizzites and Hivites. And some of you are like, well, John, that's actually my problem with the Bible. All these ites being driven out. That's my problem. I don't get it. Like, is God for the Israelites? He doesn't like all the other ites? I don't like that. I want to see if I can't clear up the misunderstanding here real quick because this is actually really important because actually you want God to work in your life. You want God to be number one. You want to be surrounded by people who've made not God number one because you desperately want the ites driven out of your promised land. Will you give me a second to try to explain this? This is super important because some of us have a total misunderstanding of this and we're like, oh man, let's just not talk about the book of Joshua driving out the ites. Can we just skip that? No, it's tremendously important. When I focus on God, God changes my focus. So we ask you to think about when we gave you this, to write down your plan. Okay? And here's, I'm just, full disclosure. I start my year of the plan, to be honest with you, a lot of my plan when I start writing it is really me focused. And then the days and the weeks and the weeks and the months to come, I notice that over a period of time, God starts adjusting my plan. And my plan goes from being kind of me focused to being other focused. Maybe you noticed the part that Ivan read a few minutes ago where God says, hey, make sure that I'm half a mile. That's what the cubits meant. God is a half a mile out in front so that everybody can see where I'm going. You know why? He says, because you've never been this way before because God wants to do something new. You didn't anticipate it. God wants to adjust the plan. 
here's what I've noticed my plan. I'm hoping this happens with your plan. You started out with a plan. I hope you wrote it down because it's critically important in the Bible. I hope that you allow God to adjust your plan. And if you're focused on God, God will change your focus and you will notice that your plan will start becoming much more other-centered than me-centered. Does God not want you to have a brand new car, right? Does God not want you to get that degree? Okay. God's not saying anything's that bad, but God's saying what matters most is he changes our focus and it becomes other-centered. It's Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, weekend that we honor Dr. King and his work, so I thought it'd be very fitting that we have a, a quote from Dr. King, which works out perfectly here. So let's look at the quote, Myron. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What is it, Dr. King? What are you doing for others? When I focus on God, God changes my focus. Are you allowing God to adjust your plan? Are you allowing God to adjust you? Are you allowing God to change you? Are you the same person? God wants to radically change us and change us for the better. And so when I focus on God, God changes my focus over the course of time. And it has a huge impact upon me. Now, let's end by going laser at this whole thing that we want to be people who make God a top priority, that as opposed to maybe experiences that have been hurtful in the past about people who we think have made God a top priority, let's clear up some confusion right here in the Bible about what a person really looks like, what a person really looks like who has made God a top priority and why we want to be those people, why we aspire to be those people, and why we want to be surrounded with people like that. Joshua 4.24 It ends, it's the last verse in Joshua 4, it ends the story of the crossing of the sea. You know how it ends? It says, when you cross, actually, you know what's fascinating? It says that when you look back over this, you'll be convinced by the cross. The word cross is used all over the place. It's quite fascinating. It says you'll be convinced when you know that you have crossed. The cross, the the cross, what are we talking about here? You'll be convinced by the cross of God's love for you. Jesus Christ. You'll be convinced. Jesus is all over the text, everywhere. You'll be convinced by the cross. And so it says, when you've crossed over, you'll fear God. Now, we hear that word fear, fear God. I don't want to be fear. I don't want somebody fearing God, cowering in a corner, right? I don't want to be around people like that. They scare me, right? I don't want those born-again fear-mongering people around me. No, 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 no. It's a misunderstanding of fear. What fear means in Joshua 4.24 and all throughout the Bible means you've made God your top priority. It means you've consecrated and devoted your life to God. It means God is number one. It means a lot of stuff in life is really, really good, but you have discerned, you've distinguished between what matters a lot and what matters most, and we want to be surrounded by people like that. So here we go. Let's drive out the ites. Where did the ites come from? Let's just focus on one group, can we? Because there's a lot of them. And I can't even pronounce all their names, to be honest with you. So the Canaanites, they're the easiest for me to pronounce. Who are they? Where are they from? Do we want to get rid of the Canaanites? Is it the Canaanites we want to get rid of? Are we for the Israelites and against the Canaanites? No. I want to suggest to you the Canaanites are an ideology. Rahab is a Canaanite. Her and her entire family were welcomed very much so, into the community and actually elevated. And we see all kinds of people, all kinds of ites in the, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So what gives? I'm driving them out, but I'm welcoming them and celebrating them. What's going on here? Driving out in ideology. Let's talk about where they came from. You all remember Noah, Russell Crowe, right? We all know Russell Crowe. Now, there's some things wrong with the movie. There's some things good with the movie, but let's talk about this. Where in the world did the Canaanites come from? All right, you ready? We are told that after the ark settles, they exit the ark, that Noah made a vineyard. And he got drunk. And then we're told that his son Ham, might have been upset about his name, 
saw his father's nakedness. And then he goes out and he tells his brothers about it, makes a big deal about it for some reason to his brothers. And the brothers come in and they cover up the father's nakedness. What in the world is going on there? Well, here's what we know. We know that other place in the scriptures to uncover your father's nakedness means that you had sex with your father's wife. Why would you have sex with your father's wife? David, King David, the famous King David from Goliath, King David and Goliath days, right? Okay. When his son tried to usurp power from him, what he did was set up 10 tents on the top of the palace and had sex with all of his father's wives. Why? Because that's the way you usurp power. I'm taking control. And so we see that Ham goes in and he's like, I'm usurping power. I'm in charge now. And so he has sex with his father's wife because he's trying to usurp the power. And then we're told very clearly, Ham's descendants are the Canaanites. Now, do you know what the Canaanites become famous for? Ritual sexual abuse. Do you know that the Canaanites become famous for incest? So I want to ask you a question. Are you okay with driving sexual abuse out of the promised land? Is anybody okay with driving sexual abuse and incest out of the promised land? I surely hope you are. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope you are of driving because that's really what we're talking about. Is anybody okay with saying, you know what, get the Nazi ideology out It has no place in the promised land. Are we for that? Sex is a great thing. It's a destructive thing. It's a great thing. It's a destructive thing, and we're against it. And many, many, 20% of girls in college will be sexually abused. Drive it out of the stinking land. That's what we're talking about in ideology, not a people, because God welcomes the people. Okay. Let's move on. Nobody seems to be into that. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 10. I want to read to you about what it means to fear God, okay? So here's what it means to be a person who really fears God. This is how they apply that to their lives. Ready? I could read you a lot of verses. I'm just going to read these. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you to, to do but to fear God, right? What do you do? Fear God. The Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. God's number one. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Now here it comes. Here's the application. So what does the person do who fears God? How do they apply their life? Do they make other people feel bad? Do they judge other people? Tell me exactly what a person does who's made God number one. Here's what they do. Shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. They can't be bought. Defends the cause of the fatherless. The fatherless, the fatherless are the most vulnerable people in the world. The fathers are children. You know, in desperate situations, the most vulnerable people are always women and children. Women and children. And it's even true in this country. But around the world, women and children. Let's keep reading. I'm off point. The widow and loves the foreigner residing among them, giving them food and clothing. Do you know what this means, everybody? If you deign to be a person who fears God, a person who fears God can't be a racist. Is that okay? Is it okay to drive racism out of your promised land? Does anybody think racism is bad? Because that's what it means to cross the promised land and to drive the ites out, the ideologies. And you know what? Racism can't stand. Favoritism can't stand. I can't be a parent 
and fear God and show favoritism to my kids. Drive it out. This is what's being said. Who thinks it's a good thing that somebody can't be bought? Who thinks it's a good thing to have somebody who has enough character that says, you know, I fear God so much, there's no way you can buy me. Ain't going to happen. I can't be bought. This is the ites we're driving out of the land. It goes on. Those who are vulnerable, you're going to stand up for them. This is why we partner with IGM. They go around the world and they stand up for women and children who are being sexually abused. There's more slaves on this earth today than any time in the history of the world. We need people who fear God because people who fear God say, I'm driving that out. They don't do all this goofy stuff where they talk bad about people all the time and tear people down and make people feel stupid. They don't do that. People who fear God go out and say, I'm not standing for this racism. I'm not standing for this low character stuff. No, 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 no. I'm not standing for favoritism. No, I'm not doing that. No, I'm going to stand up for people. We're going to give our energy and effort. That's what people do who fear God. It's for the, for the widows, for the foreigners. Oh my gosh. Well, if we're trying to drive out all the ites and they're all foreigners, why is God saying people who fear him welcome them and protect them? Is that a problem? No, it's not a problem because we're driving out an ideology. We're driving the Nazis out of the land. That's what it really means. And that's why we want people to fear God. Because people who truly biblically fear God and make God number one, they say, no, 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 no. That racism been standing here. We're going we're gonna to love. We're going to love the foreigner. We're going to love the alien. We're going to, what? We're going to love the refugee. This is what we're going to, we're going to take care of people who are hungry and thirsty and poor and vulnerable because that's what people do who fear God. This is what consecration means. You know, when I consecrate myself to God, it changes the things I say. I don't say them anymore. It changes the way I think. I don't think them anymore. It changes the things I do. I don't do them anymore. It changes the things I watch. I don't watch them anymore. Now, a lot of you are thinking, didn't his wife tell him that that jacket doesn't fit? (laughs) What's wrong with him? This jacket belongs to my son, who's about 120 pounds. You know the most important thing in your life, everybody? You all have written down plans, and they're all great plans, and I hope they all come to pass. But I want to tell you the thing that God matters most to God is your character and taking on the character of Jesus Christ. What isn't there to love about Jesus Christ? What isn't there to love about Jesus Christ? What isn't there to love about Jesus Christ? Defending the fatherless, loving people, ending racism. What isn't there to love about Jesus Christ? And you know what? When I allow God to put on the character of Christ, I've got to take off my old clothes that no longer fit and I look ridiculous, right? And I say, you know what? I got to grow. I got to change. And instead, I got to put on Jesus Christ. What it really means to fear God. I got to put on something that now fits me because I've grown. I've changed. Have you changed? Have you changed? Have you allowed God... Have you, have you allowed God to change your own ideology? Have you done that? Oh, man. Give me a world filled with people who fear God, and we will rid this world of so much junk, and we will march into the promised land. It'd be absolutely awesome. So let's end with this. I know. I'm over. I went three minutes over. Sorry. Here we go. This. 45 people to this point, have crossed this bridge and is signed on here. And you know what this bridge is symbolic of? God is really into symbolism, really into it. It's important. 
45 people said, you know what? From this day forward, I want to make God my top priority. I want to be consecrated to God. That's what it's symbolic of. There are some people in this room this morning, and, and, and God is tugging at your heart, and he's saying, you know what? Life, it's not bad. It just is. It's not bad. It just is. But you want to make God your top priority, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life and say, you know what, God? Change me. I want to put on new clothes. I want you to be top priority. I'm going to invite you in a minute. I've said this before. I am a low-key person, other than when I get animated a few minutes here, and I'm sorry. Uh, this room's going to flood out in just a minute. Everybody's going to run. Gone. And I want to invite you. You want to make God your top priority. You want to become absolutely everything God created you to be. To meet my wife and I over here, we just want to pray with you in a very low-key way. We want to give you the opportunity to cross this bridge, sign your name. Now, some people, a few, have come, particularly last week, and said, you know what? I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but life got in the way. Would it be okay if I crossed that bridge? Because I feel like I need to do something symbolically to say, you know what? I'm getting back on track, and God's going to be one. And I'm going to say, please come on down and meet us here. We want to pray with you. We want to have a special prayer with you after you cross that bridge. Sign your name. I want you to know this. God is with you. He loves you. He has great plans. Please don't believe all the stuff out there about what it really means, about what people think it means to fear God. Fearing God, making God number one is an awesome thing, and our whole world would be blessed if we did it more and more and more. Let's aspire to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. And God, I specifically, specifically want to thank you for how you're working in people's hearts and lives right now and how there are some of us in this room that all of a sudden it just clicked. We just got it. Like, oh my gosh. I want to make God number one. I want to make God my top priority because I so want to rid the world of all kinds of ites. And I want to pursue you with all my heart and all my soul and all my passion. God, help us to cross this line today. For those of us who are struggling over that decision right now, help us to go forward in you, God, because you have a great promised land in store. You have such wonderful plans in store. God, let it come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.